And now we're going to Wellington to talk to Colin Peacock for Midweek Media Watch. Hi, Colin. Kia ora, Karen. Lots of response to this Garrick Tremaine cartoon. Yeah, indeed. And as you mentioned, uh, part of the response there was from the ODT itself um, the, on, the, on the South Tonight, which is the channel uh, 39 that's owned by the ODT's owners, Allied Press. Um, They've announced that yeah, tomorrow there will be this front page, as you, as you said, and a full page of, of reaction. Um, but interesting, when that bulletin was announced, the host is um, Daryl Baser. And when he announced um, the, 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 the uh, open the show, uh, it was the lead story. And um, here's how, how we introduced it for the viewers. Tau falava, Good evening. I'm Daryl Baser. Yesterday, the Otago Daily Times published a cartoon making reference to the measles crisis in Samoa. Today, editor Barry Stewart apologised to protesters gathered outside the newspaper's headquarters and says Tremaine's cartoon should never have been published. Shut down this racist newspaper. Protesters make themselves heard outside the doors of the Otago Daily Times at lunchtime today. Well, I wonder what it's going to say on the front page tomorrow. <laughs> Indeed. I wonder if they'll do what Daryl did there and actually introduce it with a bit of Samoan language. Um, you know, an interesting touch there. But isn't it always, you know, deeply uncomfortable when, you know, one media outlet has to report on themselves in a major lapse of judgment? Um, you know, initially, I think people were annoyed that both uh, Garrett Tremaine himself were unwilling to apologise or to be um, to be sort of fulsome about it. Uh, the initial response from the ODT was one line that they put out on- online with they realised they had to say something. Then they expanded it a little, little bit in the name of Barry Stewart, the editor, to say they recognised that the timing was wrong and it was insensitive, uh, and then that they apologised for the offence that had caused. I mean, Barry Stewart today out in the street uh, confronting those people you heard there in that clip on the South tonight. Um, he said, first of all, I'm, I'm personally embarrassed and I'm upset and I know I've hurt my colleagues, which is an interesting thing. And one of the protesters said, well, you know, tough for your colleagues, but what about the families, the people, um, you know, that, that were disrespected and, and, you know, ignored, basically, in that cartoon? And I think that's sort of the point. I mean, a lot of opinions expressed about that cartoon, um, but just it was almost written as though no one had, had died, like there hadn't been a tragedy. And for Tremaine to say, as we heard in the interview from first up, and, and he said it in another one with RNZ as well, with uh, Hamish Cardwell, the reporter who did a piece for Morning Report this morning, you know, he, he didn't think he'd caused a great deal of offence and it wouldn't cause any further pain or suffering or deaths or anything like that. But um, no, I, I, I think he has to recognise that it's it's deeply inappropriate. He did a, a, a more kind of personal apology on his own website, Garrett Tremaine, in text, which seemed a bit more sincere. Um, but the same website uh, describes himself as uh, New Zealand's widely regarded as New Zealand's funniest and most perspe- uh, perceptive uh, political cartoonist. And I don't think there are very many people in New Zealand who regard him as that today. It's a very big topic at the moment. We had that story uh, about being called a Jew for being miserly, and that was looked at as um, casual anti-Semitism, uh, which you can't do anything about, by all accounts. Well, yes, 
I, I know you said uh, when you were talking to Ming Foon there that, that the BSA had said it was okay. Now, they would take issue with that. They have said they have warned broadcasters that casual anti, uh, casual uh, racism, uh, as they put it, is not okay and they should avoid it. But what they are saying in that uh, that kind of blurted comment by the Crusaders player um, calling uh, the All Black Jack good who a Jew over you know not paying for his wedding, that that did not have the level of nastiness or malice to find a breach of the discrimination and denigration standard. And now something that did breach that standard, you'll recall it, we played the audio on uh, lately on Midweek Media Watch, um, Heather Duplessy-Allen, about the Pacific Islands being leeches on us. That's right, uh, yeah. And then repeating it and sticking by it the following uh, couple of days later. Um, Now that was something that was a premeditated sort of comment. So they're saying this is a bit of a blurt. But what I think is a bit more disappointing is that Sky TV should have just upheld that itself, that complaint, when it came in. So they submitted to the Broadcasting Standards Authority the complaint didn't breach the standard for uh, the reason that the authority had previously found that the term Jew did not breach the standard in a decision where it was found that the remark was intended, I'm I'm quoting here from the BSA's decision in 2014, the remark was intended as a light-hearted dig as opposed to an attack against Jewish people, and the listeners were likely to have interpreted the comment as a silly joke and would not have taken it as a serious endorsement of hatred or abuse against that group. Now, that decision was in 2014. It was uh, a live broadcast on ZM. It was Jay, Flinney and Jackie during their show, and one of the hosts said... um, to another one, I bet you don't put any bets on because you're both Jews. Now that was alleged to be by the complainant a breach of the discrimination and denigration standard. Uh, but the BSA, again, as, as we said, they said that didn't meet that high threshold. Just a blurt. Um, they say it displays a lack of respect for a group of people based on religious belief, but we don't think this was intentional. So this is the VSA in 2014. Rather, the host remark was made in the context of a co-host decision not to place bets at the racist at the races, and was intended as a light-hearted dig at them, not an attack on Jewish people. Um, and so they don't think listeners would have taken that seriously. So interesting that they've done this now, given that uh, not long ago the BSA kind of announced a new sort of mission statement to protect New Zealanders from harm and part of this was their response to the Christchurch mosque attacks and so on so interesting that they've said that actually a blurt like that is not um, a a, something that meets that standard for discrimination and uh, denigration. And while we're on the subject uh, of casual racism, in New Zealand there's the story about uh, te reo on uh, social media. Yeah, this is one that was news over the weekend and then on Monday uh, the news, major news media outlets do it. We know there are so many stories out there these days where something on social media that gets people going pretty quickly ends up um, on the news websites and then possibly in the papers the next day. So this was... Um, Someone on Facebook complaining to Air New Zealand about the closure of a kuru club in Wellington. And uh, the reply from Air New Zealand's social media people was, Kia ora, and they explained uh, the circumstances. The punter replied back, you know, I'm not Māori. Um, when are you going to open the kōru lounge? And then the airline again replied with more te reo words and phrases and... Um, and then this disgruntled punter demanded a translation. And then another uh, follower of Air New Zealand on Facebook climbed in and said, here, f- click on this link. Uh, and uh, it's an online Māori dictionary. So, you know, gently pushing back at this punter. Um, actually, um, RNZ's The Panel uh, had a bit of, of fun with this. Um, and this is, I think, Mike Rehu uh, on Monday. 
It's a social media story that's doing the rounds. Hilarious interaction on Air New Zealand Facebook page with a customer who was interested in only doing business in English. The conversation went something like this. When will the refurbished Wellington Domestic Coro Lounge be opened? It's been out of action for months. Kia ora. Our team is working hard to finish our amazing lounge for customers. We hope to have more information about this shortly. Signed, FC. Hello, FC. I'm not Maori. Any likelihood will be open mid-December? We do not expect this lounge to be reopened with, within 2019. However, taihoa koi, kakite, all the amazing improvements have been made. So fairly gentle yes. stuff there, really, wasn't it? But yes. um, the problem was that other Air New Zealand followers on the Facebook page then climbed in on this person, this, this woman, and said, you're describing her as a racist. Uh, and indeed, uh, on uh, the panel, just after that bit you heard there, um, Bill Ralston did describe it more or less as, um, as casual racism. <laughs> Hilarious. Never underestimate the amount of casual racism there is in New uh. Zealand. When you least expect it, it comes out and bites you on the bum. I don't think anyone would argue with that. Well, possibly not, but, I mean, the thing is that if you go back all those years ago, you remember Nida Glavish saying kia ora in the old either post office or early days of telecom and being censured for it, and that became, you know, a kind of a landmark in in the use of it and people having to fight for the use of the language. Now, there would be people of that vintage, you know, that, that... you know, that was probably the reason the postmaster general at the time said, no, don't say kia ora. Some people are confused by it. And maybe this woman is of that vintage and, and is one of those people. So at the time, you know, to her, it probably doesn't feel that odd to make an issue of uh, not wanting to hear, uh, to be communicated with in te reo. I mean, granted, it seems weird in 2019 that people would be upset or, or would resent being exposed to just, you know, the very basics in terms of a greeting. Um, but it could be that, I mean, the, the fact is it's, it's slightly complicated, the story, in that when people had a look at this woman's public Facebook profile, there were a few posts about race where she was saying some, well, fairly fringe things. So there's a bit of a pile on, on her. And one Media Watch listener actually got in touch with us after reading a story on News Hub's site, which quoted a lot of people on Twitter, uh, claiming that she was a racist. And he was saying, um, look, this made me feel a bit uneasy. There's a sense that there's a bunch of elitists beating up on a person who seems to maybe have a racist edge to her, but it smacks of, you know, the media helping a crowd beat up on someone who's not really in a position or a role of influence. Um, And he's struggling to see what the public interest in putting this in the newspaper and on the news websites is. Um, And I I actually think he's got a point. But of course, besides all these accusations of racism, this is really about a tragic situation for the people of Samoa. And there's been some uh, very difficult reporting on this for those who are there, uh, you know, on the scene as well. Yeah, well, that was my feeling when I started out thinking about what we could talk about today. What I wanted to do was highlight some of the brilliant and eye-opening reporting um, as this crisis has has become so big over the past um, few days. And I feel that some of that might have been sidelined a bit when you look at the most popular stories and the trending stuff. For example, on the One News Now site, TVNZ site, um, the top rating thing is Barbara Drever, their Pacific Affairs correspondent, with a very strong opinion piece about the cartoon and what a slap in the face she thinks it is for those who are grieving, suffering and and worried in in Samoa. Um, But, you know, her own reporting back in 
last month. She was there in Samoa reporting on how there'd been anti-vaccination meetings going back to June uh, that could have um, perhaps explained the slump in vaccination rates uh, in part that's become you know, such a serious part of the story. So these sorts of things, uh, I think it would be much better if people had recognised it. RNZ's Logan Church and Alex Perite doing um, great work travelling outside of Apia, going to outlying districts as well to find out what the story is there, visiting some of these alternative treatment healers, explaining their appeal to people and perhaps the dangers if they don't then go on to seek um, proper treatment. Uh, News Hub's uh, Pacific Affairs reporter Michael Mora, he's been in Samoa since last week. He's done a lot of uh, of great and impressive reporting. And um, I think Barbara Drever has just gone back today to report for TVNZ, but while she wasn't there uh, yesterday and the day before, uh, TVNZ's breakfast show uh, spoke to... um, uh, uh, Sapia Mayron, who's uh, a really quite a new journalist, a relatively recent graduate and an intern here at RNZ. She took a post with the Samoa Observer and happened to be there when this blew up. So they were speaking to her. Her stuff for the Samoa Observer paper has been published by The Guardian out of the UK online. So, you know, some really impressive stuff. And if you go to the Media Watch, uh, Midweek Media Watch page on the, the Media Watch section of the RNZ website, uh, I've put in links to all that so people can have a look at that and, um, you know, perhaps not. <laughs> um, Garrett remains cartoon. Well, let's go to the UK where the election is looming. Uh, but the BBC came under fire because was it Boris Johnson didn't want to be interviewed? Yeah, this is a strange one. Uh, he There's a very tough interviewer, a former newspaper editor, Andrew Neil, quite a gruff bloke who's got a weekend politics show. And he has interviewed several of the UK party leaders in the run-up uh, in, during their election campaign. And they've all agreed to do it on the premise and understanding that all the major party leaders will be interviewed and be grilled by Andrew Neil. Um, and it's the sort of thing you go on, he goads you about something, and it ends up being the headline that runs all, all through Sunday. Uh, but Boris Johnson uh, refused. He said, I'm, I'm not going to turn up. And then he did agree to be interviewed on another political show by another host called Andrew Marr, who's a serious political correspondent, a former uh, newspaper political editor himself. Um, so no easy mark, if you like. But half of the interview... <laughs> Was, asked, was about why he had not agreed to be interviewed by Andrew Neil, And Johnson tried to flatter him uh, and, and tell him, well, there were many talented Andrews at the BBC and you're one, I'm very happy to talk to you. And it's just ridiculous. And, um, and it, like I say, it, it's a distraction and probably a tactic. And, in fact, throughout the day, Johnson was interviewed by other journalists and um, on the campaign trail, um, he, he gave the same sort of answers. He, here's another example of uh, running into one uh, journalist in a, um, in, a, in a random stop, I think, uh, on Sunday afternoon. I'm very happy to be interviewed by, by anybody, and, and particularly by you, and I look forward to the, the outcome of those discussions. Can you see if you don't do this interview, critics will say that you're running scared, you're chicken, you're afraid of scrutiny. Here I am. I'm being interviewed by you. Are you we're saying... Are you, five minutes. Are you it's saying, not a, saying saying a full-length interview. Of, are you saying that you're incapable of providing scrutiny? This is a five-minute interview <laughs> in a farm shop. It's not the same thing. Well, I'm very happy to submit uh, all manner of scrutiny, all manner of uh, debates, and have done so, and uh, lots of conversations are happening about that matter right now. Five-minute interview in a farm shop. Oh, no, I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> in a farm shop. Uh, but that's the problem, is that all the interviews, where they could be talking about the bigger issues. They're all about this. Why are you dodging it? So, so this is a bit of a problem. But the, the reason that the BBC is coming under fire, as you mentioned, there is because they allowed 
Boris Johnson basically to, to avoid Andrew Neil and, and effectively pick and choose his interviews and go, go with Andrew Maher. But they say the reason for that was we needed to provide a slot on one of our key politics shows in the wake of the terror attack on London Bridge. Um, in the statement, they said, as a national public service broadcaster, the BBC's first priority must be its audience. And in the wake of a major terrorist incident, we believe it is now in the public interest that the Prime Minister should be interviewed on our flagship Sunday political programme. So um, the BBC has been very heavily criticised. In fact, another uh, Johnson, of course, is a former journalist, but another journalist, um, Ben Bradshaw, um, a, a guy actually I used to work in the same newsroom as back in the day, he decided to go into politics and got in in the 1997 election. He said this is a shameful and abject surrender by BBC management and BBC journalists will be horrified um, that uh, they're letting Boris Johnson walk all over them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's bad news and... Um, the, the BBC is probably going to have to, to toughen up and make sure that um, no political candidate can call the shots or pick and choose their interviews during an election campaign. Where did Boris Johnson work as a journalist? He worked for The Telegraph um, and then later as the editor of The Spectator magazine, but he was a Brussels correspondent in the mid-90s. And since then, a lot of his uh, articles, he was the Brussels bureau chief for The Telegraph, which was a pretty Eurosceptic newspaper. So his articles from that time have been gone over with a fine-tooth comb because a lot of them actually haven't stood up to scrutiny. But another one uh, who was a journalist at the time was his ally in the Tories, uh, Michael Gove. He was actually, I think, an education reporter and then a political correspondent for The Times. And I remember him because when we were doing political uh, radio talk shows about this time of night on a BBC network, he was one of those who loved to turn up and sit in on the panels and discussion shows that could go on for about an hour, hour and a half at night. And uh, he was very keen uh, to do as much broadcasting as, as he could and lift his profile. And later when he went into politics, we understood why. But he's also... Um, been doing this, been, been assisting Boris Johnson with his no-shows. So Channel 4, major national network, had a uh, debate on the climate and they invited all the party leaders to talk about this very important issue. Boris Johnson refused and then Michael Gove turned up on the night saying, I want to fill the slot. And of course, the organisers were thrown and said, look, sorry, you can't. And what they did was they replaced Boris Johnson with a melting ice sculpture in his otherwise empty chair. <laughs> Michael Gove then strode out and uh, the cameras were all on. He knew they would be. And he fronted up to the cameras and uh, basically claimed that he'd been a victim. He wanted to speak about the climate and that he and his party had been censored out. In fact, here's him turning this into making himself appear uh, the victim of censorship. I talked to the editor of Channel 4 News and he said no. And I, I asked him if he would ask all of the other party leaders if I could take part in the debate. And uh, very generously, he did. But he reported back to me that every other party had said no. They do not want a Conservative on the platform. They wouldn't accept a Conservative voice. And that means that um, the ideas that we have on the climate uh, emergency, the, uh, the policies that we have to have a uh, cleaner, greener planet won't be explored tonight. I think that's a denial of debate. I think that's a denial of democracy. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so sad that the other parties are scared, running scared, of debating the Conservatives on the environment. 
very media savvy like yourself, Colin. Yes, but, but <laughs> what I don't want to see is that sort of stuff in our campaign in 2020. No, well, you might. Uh, well, thank you very, very much. And all of that is on the Media Watch, Midweek Media Watch show page. Sure is, on the, on the Media Watch page of uh, rnz.co.nz. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Sure thing. Uh, Colin Peacock in Wellington.